so we're coming to consider the letter to the church in Laodicea. And let me just give you some geography to begin with. Laodicea was a very rich place. It was famous for its commerce. And it was located in the Lycus Valley in Asia Minor. It wasn't that far from Colossae. So if you read Paul's letter to the Colossians, the church in Laodicea is mentioned, I think, about three times. And coming straight after the letter to the church at Philadelphia, it does give us a bit of a shock. The church at Philadelphia was the smallest, the poorest, and the meanest. Meanest in terms of uh, very little regard people had towards it, of the seven. And yet that's the church that Christ praises the most. Now that we come to Laodicea, we come to a large church, a wealthy people, and a church that had much in terms of resources. Now, maybe we're hoping if Christ praised that small church in Philadelphia, he's bound to speak positively about this even larger church. But actually, this church, of all the seven churches, is the one that is criticized the most. And that is frightening, is it not? And I am praying that we will be given special help to look at this letter, uh, because it's not an easy letter to deal with. And what's most shocking about Jesus' letter to the church in Laodicea is the language that our Saviour uses. Did you notice in the New King James, he says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. In the authorised version, I don't think the authorised version is quite as um, sanitised as the more modern translations, Jesus says, I will spew you out of my mouth. So here is a church, right, that makes Jesus Christ want to puke. Forgive me for <laughs> putting it so bluntly, but when you're considering vomit, you can't really uh, use um, nice language, can you? And what is startling is, unlike some of the churches we've come across, there's no mention of immorality in Laodicea. Uh, some of the churches had Nicolaitans in them, and they were leading the people astray. There's no mention of that here. There's no mention of wrong, false teaching here either. So what is it about this church, this large, well-known church, that was only 40 years old? Most of these churches were only that old. What had happened to this church that made Jesus Christ sick? That's what we've got to ask. Now, in God's providence... This morning in Jeremiah and this evening, we are looking at Dr. Jesus, right? Dr. Jesus. Jesus here is diagnosing the spiritual health of the church in Laodicea. Are we ready for the same Jesus to diagnose our spiritual health? Uh, let's look at how he refers to himself. Verse 14, these things says the Amen. What does Amen mean? Amen means true, true. These things says the Amen and the faithful and true witness. 
uh, one commentator puts it like this. This is what the Amen says, and the Amen says, and the Amen says. What we have in terms of these three words, Amen, faithful, and true witness, is really the same thing. Jesus is the doctor who is absolutely authentic in his diagnosis. There's a triple lock here. Amen, amen, amen. Definitely not Dr. Google that we are seeking his advice. And then the phrase, the beginning of the creation of God. Uh, that doesn't mean that Jesus is created and the beginning of what God created. All it means is he is the source of everything. He's the source. So, Jesus knows what you and I are like spiritually. The church in Laodicea had the facade of success, but Jesus saw through that and could see their hearts. And however good on paper a church may appear, and I'm not belittling that in any way, what we need to ask is what does Dr. Jesus see beyond the surface? Uh, Jesus is giving an X-ray, a CT scan, as it were, to the church in Laodicea. Are we ready for Jesus Christ to give us such a spiritual scan? So let's look at what's wrong with this church in Laodicea and try to learn some lessons. Now, I don't know if you've had this experience with doctors, uh, but you may have had a doctor who said things to you and you didn't want to hear what he's saying, right? But he's actually telling you the truth. And so you end up respecting that doctor much more in the long term than a doctor who's just trying to say to you what you want to hear. So Jesus Christ is gentle, he's patient, and yet at the same time, he will tell the truth. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and it's better to hear it as it is, is it not? And may Jesus Christ speak to us tonight. Very well then, what's wrong with the health of the church in Laodicea? And are we in danger of being Laodicean? Now, we know what uh, Jesus says. It's a very well-known letter. I know your works. I can see right through that you are neither cold nor hot. You are lukewarm. Here's a church that's gone tepid. Lukewarm. A bit of geography. I've already said Laodicea was in the Lycus Valley. Colossae, south of Laodicea, was famous for its cold springs. Hierapolis, in a different direction, was famous for its hot springs. Does Bath have hot water springs? So the water in Laodicea was neither cold nor hot. Interesting how Jesus uses uh, that uh, bit of geography in terms of bringing the spiritual application uh, to the church. So the water coming to Laodicea had to come on an aqueduct. And by the time it reached the city, 
it had gone lukewarm. Whether it was hot water from Hierapolis or cold water from Colossae, by the time it had travelled all that distance, it was lukewarm. Now, do you like lukewarm drinks or food? Do you? Most of us here like our teas and coffees hot. When I went to America, I tasted for the first time iced tea. And it's quite nice, isn't it? Iced tea. I can see some of you uh, disagreeing. <laughs> it's nice if it's hot or cold. What about lukewarm tea? Do you know what? You, I'm not recommending you try lukewarm tea, but if you try lukewarm tea or lukewarm coffee, it will make you want to be sick. That's what Jesus Christ is saying here. I would, you were rather hot or cold. Now, that's the difficult one. Jesus is saying, I'd rather you be spiritually cold than lukewarm. Now, we need to look at this. There are three spiritual temperatures. So, in this building tonight, we will fit either into hot, cold, or lukewarm. Now, let's look at these three spiritual temperatures hot. When I read my New Testament, I find Christians that are on fire. I think it's right to say, even though there are exceptions, the prevailing tendency of New Testament Christianity was red hot. Let me just give you a few references. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Here you have very practical instructions to the church. Now, bear in mind that by the time John wrote the letters in Revelation, which we're looking at, a generation had passed. So the first generation of Christians in the New Testament were often hot. Uh, let me read uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Just a little phrase, but it says a great deal. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Fervent. Now, I know we must be careful here. We all have different personalities. Uh, some personalities, even if they are fervent, uh, they don't show it. <laughs> uh, some nationalities uh, will uh, be more reserved than others. So we must be very, very careful uh, that we don't equate hot Christianity with outward things. And yet, at the same time, we have to say, if we're hot we're going to be fervent in our hearts, in how we approach God. How is a fervent Christian going to worship? A fervent Christian is not going to be apathetic in his praises of God. A fervent Christian is going to praise God with his heart. Now, I'm not interested in whether we put our arms up or whether we uh, stand still. That's not the point. The point is this. There is a heart about fervent Christianity. Uh, look at uh, the description that you have in Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. Fervent in prayer. Uh, somebody once said, the missing vocabulary in our prayers is the little word, oh, you can't put it on. And yet, when we pray from the heart, we can't help but, oh, coming out. Where is the fervency? Often our prayers are just shopping lists. Where are the prayer warriors? 
Where is the wrestling in prayer? That's the kind of thing you have in hot Christianity. Uh, hot Christians, when they come under the word of God, they can't get enough of the word. I've had the privilege of preaching in places where the spiritual temperature is higher than it is in the West. And you preach a normal length sermon there and people feel shortchanged. They feel shortchanged. They wouldn't believe that our services are only a little over an hour. Uh, they're used to being in God's house for hours on end. Uh, the same applies to prayer. Oh, my friends, doesn't it say a lot about our Christianity that we find an hour of prayer difficult in a prayer meeting? Uh, but in my last visit to Andhra Pradesh, the prayer meeting was three to four hours long. And the thing is, it didn't drag, it didn't drag. And when I commented to the pastor how wonderful the prayer meeting was, he said, ah, yes, we had to have a short prayer meeting tonight. <laughs> short prayer meeting. Fervency, fervency. Another mark of hot Christians is there's a burden, a burden for souls. Now, as I'm going through these things, doesn't it sound a bit like we were when we were first saved? We were hot, weren't we? Now, maybe we were wrong in certain things. Maybe we put our foot in it, but at least we did put our foot in it. There's a burden for lost souls. And again, this isn't something you can work up. There's just a concern, a concern. This is what is preoccupying you. Oh, that people would come and know Jesus Christ. And then there is a love for the brethren, a love that makes each Christian your brother and sister. Oh, my friends. Hot Christianity. Hot But why is cold better than lukewarm? With maybe a few exceptions, I don't think you can say that our Christianity is hot at the moment. If it is, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? Now, why is cold the next best option? Let me explain why. I think for this reason, when a Christian is cold, they're aware of the fact. And they want to be on fire again. This came to me uh, big time uh, in Moldova. I would consider the believers we know in Moldova as being on fire, right? That's what I would say of them. But in conversation with a number of them a few years ago now, they were admitting that they were cold. They were admitting that they were cold. And they were saying, ah, when we were persecuted under the communists, that's when we were on fire. Now, I think that's it. When we're cold, we realize our condition. There's something healthy about it. And lukewarm Christianity, oh, this is what makes it tragic. Lukewarm Christians don't realize. 
They think everything is hunky-dory. This is what Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea, verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. How sad. How sad. Lukewarm. It doesn't make sense, does it, lukewarm Christianity? John Stott said this. If Jesus is the Son of God who became a human being, died for our sins, and has saved us from death, if Christmas Day, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday are more than meaningless anniversaries, then nothing less than our wholehearted commitment to Christ will do. It doesn't make sense being lukewarm if Jesus, being God, became a man and died for me so that I may be forgiven and go to heaven. Being lukewarm doesn't make sense. Lukewarm Christians disapprove often of fervency. They don't like it. They don't like it. Lukewarm Christians can be orthodox and they may disapprove of young Christians who are fresh and on fire. Think of William Carey. William Carey. William Carey was hot, wasn't he? William Carey said in a meeting of the church, God, I feel, is calling me to India. And a leader in the church got up and he put down William Carey with the words, young man, if God meant to save the Indians, he would do it himself. I'm paraphrasing. But I think Jesus Christ delighted in William Carey. William Carey didn't make Jesus want to be sick. Lukewarm. Lukewarm. Jesus. Search our hearts. It's better to be cold than lukewarm. It's even better to be hot. Don't you long to be on fire again to the Lord. Now then, let's look secondly at what causes lukewarmness. What causes lukewarmness? Because you say, verse 17, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Complacency. Complacency. Now, I know it's easier to be complacent if you're well off in a large church with many resources. It's easier. But you can be complacent in a poor church, a small church, with no resources as well. So I don't want to be oversimplifying things. The cause of their lukewarmness was this. They thought they were self-sufficient. They thought that they were all right, thank you. They believed the right things. They did the right things because Jesus does not condemn their doctrine or their morality. They were large they had much activity, much to thank God for. And yet, they were relying on that. They were self-sufficient. Now then, 
Uh, let me give you an illustration here. I accidentally switched off my fridge freezer the other day. I thought I was switching my kettle off, but it was the wrong switch. So it was the fridge freezer that I switched off. So all the delicious food that was meant to be chilled, because there was no power coming in, got tepid, and I had to throw it away. When you're lukewarm, like the Laodiceans, you're self-sufficient, you're a closed system. What lukewarm Christians need is power from the outside, like my fridge freezer. Let me give you another illustration. If you run a hot bath, and if you leave it for an hour before you go into the bath, that hot water will eventually become lukewarm. You'll have a Laodicean bath. What do you need to make that hot again? You need something from the outside. You need hot water. So the Laodiceans, like that bath water or like that fridge freezer, thought that they were a closed system. They were self-sufficient, whereas we're not meant to be like that, my friends. Jesus Christ didn't save us in order to let it uh, be something self-sufficient then for us to live the Christian life. Jesus said, even to his believers, without me, you can do absolutely nothing. You can't be self-contained. You must have an infusion of my spirits. What else? They were self-sufficient. And also, you don't know, you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, pitiable is a much better word. They were to be pitied, pitied, poor, blind, and naked. They were living in a dream world. They thought that everything was going well, whereas really the opposite was true. Um, is it Hans Christian Andersen, have I got it right? who wrote the story about the emperor. Uh, the emperor was surrounded with uh, psychophants, yes, men. And uh, he had uh, this new uh, dress, didn't he? And everybody was saying how wonderful it looked. You know the story, don't you? And then the emperor went out uh, in this new dress. And everybody was cheering because everybody was saying how wonderful it looks. And then a little child points to the emperor and says, look, the emperor's got no clothes. The emperor's got no clothes. And that's what the church in Laodicea was like. She was wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. And isn't the church in the West a bit like that? We try to fool ourselves that we are going on with the Lord. We try to cover our nakedness up with the latest fad. I can't keep up with the fads. They tend to come from America, don't they? Uh, the spiritual fads. But in the end, in our hearts of hearts, we know that things are not what they should be. Where is that blessedness I knew when I first saw thee? Lord, where are the conversions? Where is that uh, Holy Spirit's uh, power? Where is that?
Finally, Jesus' prescription. Like this morning, Dr. Jesus has his prescription. What's the answer? Haven't you guessed? Haven't you guessed? It's a man's thing. You don't go to the doctor until you're desperate. My friends, once you realize you're poor, wretched, blind, and naked spiritually, you're already going in the right direction. Uh, it means you're cold now, but at least you're no longer lukewarm. Now, let me give you a lovely promise. I found this promise so helpful. Uh, it's in 1 Peter 5, 5. Do you know what God says? God opposes the proud, the self-sufficient, but he gives grace to the humble. So if we realize that we've become lukewarm and we uncomfortably uh, admit that to God. It's not nice, I know, as a feeling, but we admit to God our spiritual condition, then there's a lovely promise here that God will give us grace. He will help us. If we carry on being self-sufficient, God will oppose us. God doesn't like that. Now, there is something lovely, even in Jesus's words to the church in Laodicea. This is his hardest letter, but note even in the letter where he says, I will spew you out of my mouth. Listen to this, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, as many as I love. And what Jesus says is, if you want to come out of being in this horrible, lukewarm state, First, admit your condition, realize you are lukewarm, so you become cold then. And come to me, what's the word for coming to Jesus Christ? What's the word for turning away from things that displease God and turning to Jesus Christ? We know the word, don't we? It begins with R. It's that word, repent. And that's what Jesus Christ says to the church here. Repent. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. The word here, zealous, and the word repent, has this idea. Be hot in your repentance. May our repentance be red hot. I know uh, we have been discussing as elders and church council, and maybe uh, some members as well, we've been discussing repentance, and there's nothing wrong with that. What comes first? First, faith or repentance? Where does repentance come? In the order of salvation. The ordo salutis, as the theologians call it. Now, uh, it might be very useful to discuss that. But, my friends, much more better than discussing repentance is actually repenting. That's what pleases Jesus Christ. Oh, may we be a repenting church. May each one of us know what it is to be zealous in repenting. Uh, not easy, is it? Not easy. But God gives grace. Oh, may we turn again to the Lord our God. May we mourn our lukewarmness. May we be gutted because of the way we are. And may we accuse ourselves. That's the word in Corinthians. May we have a sorrow that is godly. May that drive us to Jesus Christ 
in renewed repentance. I thought in the three days of prayer, we were beginning, we were beginning. Let's not stop, let's carry on, let's carry on. Let's confess our faults to one another, let's confess more than that to our God and Saviour. Lord, I don't want to be like this anymore. Not be, before such a wonderful saviour. Not if the need is so great. I don't want to be apathetic. And then Jesus says three things and then we'll be done. We'll need to finish this letter next week. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried by the fire. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried by the fire. Verse 18. Laodicea was well known for its commerce. And Jesus is saying, I want you to trade in something that the city can't offer. Gold tried with fire. Now then, you will say to me, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. It sounds as if we are earning something from Jesus Christ, if we buy something from him. But that's why I read Isaiah 55, 1 at the start. Jesus says, buy without money and without price. Buy of me salvation. Buy of me faith. By grace have you been saved through faith. And even that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And so when we buy of Christ without anything, what happens? Well, this is what happens we become like him and we have that God-given faith. And what happens is that that faith is tried. Uh, let me read again from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Gold tried by fire. The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. This is what Douglas Kelly says. It is Holy Ghost character, this gold tried by fire. Yes, we're justified by faith. And yet, when we are united to Christ, we become like him. And the way that that happens is that we are changed from glory to glory. What changes us? Oh, just like the gold in the fire is uh, purified from dross. So when we go through the fire of trials and tribulations our character begins to become like Christ uh, our character begins to shine oh it's the face of Jesus Christ that begins to show itself uh, this is how Kelly puts it it is Holy Ghost character or true Christ-like character worked into the depth of our soul by a life depending on Jesus through thick and thin, not looking at our own character, but looking to him so that something truly supernatural happens on the inside. That is the complete opposite of lukewarm Christianity. This is not a self-contained Christian. This is a Christian who says, Lord, without you, I am absolutely helpless. When I'm going through the mill, Lord, I need you to draw near to me and to strengthen me. And do you know what happens? Your faith begins to strengthen and there's something of the character of Christ shining. Isn't that wonderful? We may not be rich, but we can trade in Christ-like character, faith like gold tried in the fire. I can see Christians here and you've been through it 
for many years. And you know what's wonderful? I can see that character in you. Praise God, praise God. And then there's something else. He talks about white raiment. Raiment is clothes. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, verse 18, that you may be rich, and white garments. Now, Laodicea was famous for its woolen clothes, right? If you would have lived in Laodicea, it was a rich city, so there would have been like, um, I don't know, um, uh, like the promenade. Have you been to Cheltenham? You've got the promenade, uh, where these lovely Georgian buildings are lining the streets, and uh, I'm imagining now people in Laodicea walking around in their beautiful black woolen clothing. It was renowned for its black merino wool. Have you uh, got a merino wool jumper? Or even better, a cashmere jumper. Oh, these people, they were proud of their clothes. And Jesus says, look, you can be proud of your fine woolen garments, but I can give you a spotless white robe of righteousness to cover your nakedness. Isn't that amazing? The robe of Jesus Christ, his imputed righteousness. Naked, come to thee for dress. As we sang, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are and glorious dress. And it doesn't matter what trials we have to go through in these arrayed. Midst flaming worlds with joy shall I lift up my head. And then he talks about eye salve. Eye salve. This is probably like a lotion that you rub onto your sore eyes so that you can see more clearly. Uh, Laodicea was famous for its eye salve, apparently. Uh, And Jesus is using this here in his application. Do you want to have anointed eyes? Eyes that have been cleared by the Holy Spirit. If you have anointed eyes, you will begin to see things as God sees them. And it may not be pleasant at first, but it is good. May we have preachers who have anointed eyes to see things in God's word so that Christ is brought out more and more. May we as believers have anointed eyes. It's good to read Christian books, but it's better to be taught of the Spirit, to have the mind of Christ. Oh, in my previous church, uh, we had uh, an elderly lady, Mrs. Pates, and she didn't have formal education but she had anointed eyes and she could see things in the word that some of us, even with all of our Bible school education, couldn't see. And she knew her saviour in prayer more than many of us. Anointed eyes. If you have anointed eyes, you will constantly be praying, Lord, show me more of myself. Show me more of myself. But Lord... Show me more of thyself. That's the only way to keep saying. Because the more of yourself you'll see, the more you'll see how wretched you are by nature. How wretched you are. But the more you'll see of Christ, the more amazing his grace will be that he ever saved a wretch like you and me. And more amazing that he hasn't given up on us. 
Uh, may God help us. May we be able to say, as Christians now, remember there's three spiritual temperatures. Hot. I don't think we're hot. I don't think so. Maybe you are. Praise God if you are. But I don't think I'm hot. Cold. I'd rather be cold than lukewarm. Admit that you are not what you once were. And use Jesus' prescription. And just say to him, maybe as you said when you were first converted, just as I am, poor, wretched, this is from the church in Laodicea, you see? Poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, yea, all I need in thee to find. O Lamb of God, I come. Let us come anew to Jesus Christ for his name's sake. Now we're going to sing a hymn. It's not that hymn because we've already sung it. It's another hymn which will appear on the screen. Uh, this is somebody who is hot. Spirit of faith, come down, reveal the things of God, and make to us the Godhead known, and witness with the blood. Tis thine the blood to apply, and here's the eye salve, and give us eyes to see, who did for guilty sinners die, hath surely died for me, for me. We'll stand and sing, uh, and I think it's Wesley's uh, famous hymn.
so father we praise thee for our living relationship with thee in jesus christ and we thank thee uh, that as one said of old that he tells us our own story and father we don't want to be um looking at others and uh, pointing the finger as it were but we want to look at our own hearts uh, for thy church is only as good as the individual parts and we thank thee that we're not just parts but members of the body of Christ and we pray head of the body uh, here in the heath and all over the world please 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 uh, give us that spiritual scan uh, each one of us so that we will see where we are in our walk with thee and father we confess uh, forgive us if we are lukewarm it just didn't happen at once it just happened gradually um, oh lord uh, don't let us stay in this condition, uh, but open our eyes, and however uncomfortable it may be, help us to return to thee, to be zealous in repenting, and to do it not with heavy hearts, but expectant hearts. For our God is gracious, nor will he leave the desolate to mourn. We praise thee that thou dost oppose the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Help each one of us to humble ourselves under thy mighty hand and now may the grace of jesus christ that amazing grace and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us all now and forever amen